want to have fun in the least fun time of our lives because I think nobody has ever experienced in our generation this type of you know depression and anxiety so that's why most of us turn to the creative side you know because we need an outlet you're listening to create community i'm your host marcia drucker on this podcast we're exploring the human side of community i'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means joining me today is bar kirshon bar is the co-founder and ceo of communico a new platform that helps content creators who teach their craft to connect with their online communities in this episode, Bar shares her journey of growing up with creative roots, moving from Israel to Canada, and starting and growing Communico. We chat about how to keep your communities harassment-free, how to find work-life balance, and how to find your community in a new city. So let's jump right in. Hey, Bar, welcome to Create Community. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for this chat. I'm so happy that Tassine introduced us. Um, how's your day going so far? You know, working our asses off. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's good. It's really exciting time for everyone. We've been getting a lot of support. And yeah, so like Tassine introducing us was really, really cool. Awesome. So to dive into it, I'd love to kind of get an understanding of how my guests actually became community builders in the first place and what some formative experiences were for you growing up. So I know that growing up, both of your parents are creatives, and this is definitely something that has shaped and influenced you. Can you share a little bit more about what they did and what your childhood looked like growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with my parents, it's kind of a funny story, actually, because uh, when I grew up, my dad used to be a chef. Uh, he had a couple of restaurants uh, and my memories are a lot about that. So me running around uh, the kitchen and, you know, eating stuff that I'm not supposed to eat. Uh, and my mom used to work in an art gallery. So my parents are actually divorced. They're best friends until today, uh, but they're not together since I was four. But our lives as creators were very much like that. So my mom was uh, in the gallery, which I have a lot of great memories from. And then when I was about, I think six or eight, something like that, my dad actually lost his memory, uh, a little bit younger than that, I was five. And he sort of, you know, searched for himself uh, as a new person, like literally a new person. And he found his way through art. Uh, he became an artist. He was painting a lot and uh, working with dead trees. So it was really interesting uh, for me to to see that because it's it's a whole new person that is finding his way through something he's never done before, but he doesn't even know it, right? Around the same time, I was I think I was ten. My mom decided to leave the art world, and she became a pastry chef. So they basically switched. My dad went from the kitchen to art and my mom went from art to the kitchen. But it's actually my entire family. Uh, my grandmother is, uh, is an amazing cook. Uh, that's how my dad learned how to cook himself. And, uh, and like we all have, you know, roots in art, uh, in, in different ways. Uh, so a lot of art history and stuff. And then from there, I ended up going to an arts high school. Uh, so it was a private high school in Tel Aviv in Israel that you need to get accepted or whatever. And it's all about art. So we had, you know, 
uh, visual arts and we had uh, cinema and dance and music and my entire life was about that. So what were you like when you were in high school, like outside of, you don't you know, want to know, <laughs> I want to know for sure. <laughs> I was I was a wild one. I was a very, very wild child. My name actually bar uh, in Hebrew, it means wild. So I always told my mom that she brought it on herself, <laughs> naming me wild. I was very free spirit um, and, you know, artists, that's that's totally the way we live um, through some you know bad stuff, but also a lot of community building. So it's something that is very natural for you to look for when you're in the arts, because people want to create together a lot and, you know, like support each other. Uh, and also mentally, it's not easy to be around artists. Uh, so it's something that it shaped the way I see the world. Okay, I have to ask. So when you say that you were wild, was there like a story that stands out or something like really wild that you did that you'd want to share? Uh, so in high school, they took us every year to an arts camp. So each major has their own thing. So it's like, you know, theater, go to a theater camp and art goes to art camp. So it's four days of just art, uh, which is amazing it's something that you can you can't even imagine uh they used to take us to this really really small i don't even know i don't i don't think it's even a town it's just a small community uh and we lived there for four days with around the clock workshops so you had nude painting you had history of art you had you know landscape and sculpture everything you wanted with no stop so you you sort of, you know, make your own schedule, decide what workshops you want to do with your friends or alone. Um, it's it's very it was very spiritual. Add to that some alcohol, you know, because you're in high school and why not? But <laughs> but yeah, it was it's something that I remember until today as one of the most amazing experiences I went through as an artist. That sounds really incredible. Did you serve in the army in Israel? Yeah. Or did you? Cool. What was what was that experience like? So in Israel, you have to go to the army, uh, no matter what, unless you get pregnant. Uh, <laughs> that's like that's the one thing that they let you go if you get married as a yeah. woman or get pregnant. Uh, girls do two years, boys do three years, unless you become an officer and then you can keep going. I was actually there for six months and uh, it didn't work out very well. So I was uh, I was out of there pretty fast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I lived in Tel Aviv for for about a year. I worked over there, and I obviously met a lot of Israelis, and I've I've heard so many <laughs> stories about the army, and you know whether it's it was a bad experience or or like a really formative experience, it definitely kind of influences how you how you see the world and how you sort of see community and how you sort of like relate to people. So what did you end up um, like after that experience? Did you take any time to like um, travel to, you know, think about what you wanted to do next? Or did you jump into your post-secondary studies? In Israel, you have a very uh, specific way, right? So you go to high school, from high school, you go to the military. And then what happens is that when people finish the military, they go work as, you know, temps, like uh, waiters or whatever, bartenders, they work like crazy for one year they save up as much money as they can and then they go travel the world for about a year uh, and then they come back they work for a year or two and then they go to university 
But for me, it was very different. First of all, I always wanted to leave Israel. I don't want it to stay there. I, I didn't want it to I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to uh, become a filmmaker and an artist, and I wanted out uh, because I never felt very connected to to the place. Uh, so I wasn't in a rush to travel. I was in a rush to find out what I want from my life. One thing that my parents taught me is no matter what you do, you should be able to enjoy it, even work. <laughs> So for me, I got out of the military and I went to university pretty fast. Like a couple months later, I already, I enrolled to the university and I went to study uh, film history and I went to study screenwriting. Uh, so that was my next sort of adventure in the art section of my life. I wanted to uh, learn how to write. I've been writing my entire life, short stories and stuff like that. I actually wrote my first book when I was 11. Yeah, so I went there for a couple of months. I realized I'm not very much of a university person. Uh, and I started working in a retail uh, in Topshop. From there, I actually went and worked in a food magazine. <laughs> I love it, all over um, the place. That's really cool. So in the food magazine, I worked uh, as a social media manager. I managed a website and I also uh, did some photography. So food photography was a huge thing for me. Um, some product photography, you know, for the magazine, whatever. And my wife actually enrolled uh, to, a, to a university in the south of Israel. So we moved there for a year, uh, which I took it as a break from life. <laughs> and then after that, uh, we were we started talking about moving. Uh, and then I, I found a school here in Canada. I went to in Toronto, Toronto Film School. So you moved to Toronto, you started school here. What was that transition like? Did you kind of like feel right at home or was there sort of like a period where it just like felt different to you and you didn't feel at home? Well, first thing, the moment I got here was very scary. But once I started school, I've never felt more at home than I did when I, when I moved to Canada. It was amazing. It was like <clears throat> my entire life. I felt like I don't really belong. And then I came to Toronto. I felt like the city was hugging me. I felt like this is where I, I'm supposed to be. And I went to school and immediately I found my, my circle of friends. And, you know, like everything else in my life, I went all in. So I was in school all the time. <laughs> and we were doing side projects and, you know, like getting your creativity on 1000% with a, a bunch of amazing people that were there for the exact same reason. You know, most of my friends from, from Toronto Film School were immigrants as well. Uh, so we all came here, didn't have any family. So I ended up, you know, doing holidays and cooking for them, inviting them to my home for dinner because they didn't have anywhere else to go. Of course, it was also hard. It was scary, mainly because people here are super nice. <laughs> And it was like, why are everyone smiling at me? Are they crazy? Because in Israel, it doesn't really work that That's way. That's the culture shock. <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that really sums up Toronto 
really well. I think it's like it's one of the most multicultural places that you can find and people are definitely very accepting. I think it's all about like finding your community, like as cheesy as it sounds, but like really like what makes a city is the people that you surround yourself with. And until you have that support system in place, that it could feel really lonely wherever it is yeah, that you everywhere are. Everywhere can be cold. It's just like up to the people you meet, um, the people you invite into your life. Absolutely. So let's jump into Communico. I'm super excited to learn more about what you're building. So can you share a little bit about what Communico is and what inspired you to create this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, Communico is a creatives platform. Uh, now that's that's a new term that we came up with uh, because people are always talking, you know, creators platform or social media, things like that that are very excluding. And when we built Communico, we built it for every creative person out there. No matter if you like painting or baking or gardening or whatever it is, you know, kneading <laughs> for, for a reference for that. But every creative person out there should feel at home and have access to a community that supports that. Um, and that's Communico. So, we have a platform for creators who have creative hobbies, uh, just like I said, home-related creativity type of hobbies. Uh, they need to get vetted. It's a very simple process, nothing too major. We just want to see that they are um, engaging with their audience and they do have this passion that we're looking for. Once they get vetted, they then uh, can open their group that becomes their home base. Uh, so they can invite people to join their group as members uh, for free. So it's uh, free for all, free to use, very accessible, very easy to use as well. And from there, uh, the creators can share content and tutorials, but also the audience can share back. So for example, one of my, one of my favorite creators, her name is Nelly. Um, she's an amazing baker from Israel and through Communico, she just opened her first group in English, uh, which is a huge, huge thing for her. Uh, and she shared a recipe for challah. I went and I made it and I shared back a picture of the results that I got with questions because something went wrong in the process, whatever. Uh, it was just like a stupid thing that I did, but I was able to ask her, uh, to ask her a question and to also show her you know and support her through saying hey i did it i looked at what you do and i found it so inspiring that i went and did it myself so that's basically communico from there we do give monetization options for the creators because we believe that there is a line that some of them choose to cross to become more business oriented and we want to give them the opportunity to control that without taking too much from them and giving them the space and the choice to whatever option they find most effective, right? So if I like writing more than I like taking videos, I still have space to share and communicate. And we give them spotlight uh, regardless of how many followers they have. Uh, so we don't work like the other platforms where they have, you know, this algorithm that says, okay, they have more than this type of users, then I will give them more exposure. Communico became what it is because last year when COVID started, uh, my wife and I both lost our jobs uh, due to COVID. And we just moved to a new house and the backyard is in a horrible condition. 
and my wife decided she wanted to learn how to plant grass to make our backyard really nice and warm. So she went to YouTube and she found a bunch of tutorials on how to do it. But because it didn't really match what we needed, it didn't work. And more than that, when it didn't work, she didn't have anywhere to go to to ask questions and be more specific. And then during that time, I also wanted to learn how to bake sourdough bread, which I know is, uh, <laughs> is uh, like the most common thing during COVID. But um, we just wanted to get creative. You know, we had a lot of free time. We have two dogs. We wanted to get creative. We wanted to have fun in the least fun time of our lives because i think nobody has ever experienced in our generation this type of you know depression and anxiety so that's why most of us turn to the creative side you know because we need an outlet and then because we saw what's going on out there and how today's platforms are big giant monsters that are basically taking advantage of the users i don't know if you watch the social dilemma but that was like the gist of it we decided we wanted to build something different and we wanted to actually make a positive change through that and not just build another empire, social media, whatever, that nobody remembers their name in the end. One of the main things that we want to implement is equality. And if you look at our platform now, we have a majority of female creators and LGBTQ presence, including trans, uh, queers, gay, whatever you want to call it, we have it, which is something we're really, really proud of because we think that community is all about that, accepting everyone no matter what. For sure. I think it's so important if you're building something in the community space to actually be reflective of the community that you're trying to serve. So that's that's really amazing that you were able to kind of build that from the very start. So I know that's something that's really important to you and to your team is to really create a place that's safe from harassment. Can you share a little bit more about why it's important to you and, and what are some of the ways that you're doing that? So first of all, the numbers today are insane. I think last month when I checked, it was one out of five people get harassed or cyber stalked on social media and online presence uh, in general. And you can only imagine the numbers for women. I was talking to a lot of creators about that, especially female creators, because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to learn what they experienced to really understand what we need to focus on. And the stories that I heard were horrible. I had a creator who told me about her sick father. She, she got a threat from one of her followers on Instagram about her sick father. It's like, who does that? It's insane. And I'm not even talking about nudes and, you know, dick pics and whatever. And you have also the small stuff. I know a baker that uh, whenever she posts something, she gets messages with the word recipe and, you know, exclamation mark. Because because she didn't post the recipe or if she says no, because she also sells her stuff. So she won't post the recipe. Obviously, that's her living. Uh, she gets, you know, harassed about it and, and yelled at and getting really, really horrible messages only because she won't post a recipe. I mean, you know, it's just like, what the hell is wrong with people? It's crazy. It's really shocking, but also it's kind of not. Yeah, it's like not shocking, but it is shocking. Yeah. And you want to say you're, you're surprised just because you want to believe in the human race. After all those conversations, um, my wife, Ronnie, uh, who's also my business partner, obviously, 
and myself, we sat down and we were talking about, we're like, okay, how do we not just take care of it, but prevent from this to happen on Communico? And we came up with a few things. So first of all, we don't have private messaging. If you want to say something to someone, it's only in the group's feed, which is a public thing, and everyone can see it, which means that those cowards that um, use the, the messaging options as a tool for them, they don't have it here. And also, we were really trying to focus on being active. You know, you know how in, in the usual social media, as you go and you can report someone and then maybe after a month, they will check it out and maybe do something about it. I can tell you that most likely they won't uh, from from my actual personal experience. And we said, OK, how how do we make it the opposite? How do we protect the victim instead of, you know, being patient and understanding with the victimizer? <laughs> The, oh my is God, that a I, word? No, I can't even think of it now either, but I know what you mean. It's all good. The evil person. Yeah. The evil person. I'm going to call them victimizers just because it sounds like a New really cool, I like it. Uh, superhero villain. So we want to really be active and protect people and not just say, yeah, yeah, we, we're a safe place, blah, blah, blah. So what we do is that if a content creator uh, reports to us about a user, they are immediately suspended from the group immediately no questions asked asked and then we can go back and see what happened and see if we can resolve that in a different way but we immediately put a protection a wall in the way to make sure both sides are separate and the content creator have the power to you know maintain their their group in a peaceful way if a user gets recorded more than three times in different groups they're out of communico it's so different from other platforms that are out there. And I, I love that that's such a big focus for you. I understand for, for other platforms, I have to say, I understand business-wise. Now that I'm, I actually own a business, I own a company that is growing, I understand the thought behind this because we are going to lose users. And for platforms that are uh, mainly building on rapid growth, uh, without monetization, without being very careful or selective about what they present. I understand it because they don't want to lose users. They just want to, you know, hit the millions and have high valuation and sell their company in a lot of money. And that's, that's exactly it. Like I understand this side, but Communico is not it. Communico is, is, uh, is an intimate place. You know, we don't care if we grow slower or if we make less money. I live in a basement unit. Okay, we want to make sure that our company is humble and aware of other people's needs before our own. That's such a good way of looking at it. So speaking of the business side, can you share a little bit about like how you guys actually operate and how do you keep what you're doing sustainable? First of all, we just launched our closed beta two weeks ago, uh, which was <laughs> very exciting. Three weeks ago now. Thank you. Uh, so the business way that we took it was, like I said before, slow growth. What we did is that we connected with five amazing creators that were inspired by Communico and wanted to join us uh, and try to build something meaningful together. So we took them, we opened uh, groups with them in the platform, and we brought in 100 testers very simple everything is done by invite only so we made sure that we can control our growth and that we can stay in touch with our users 
we try to take it really step by step to make sure that we are fully aware of what we can deliver for our users to enjoy and not just be like, you know, oh, okay, Facebook has this and that. So we need to add this and that. No, in the short time that we've done, we've been doing it, we learned that you need to trust your gut and you need to trust your instincts. I think, especially as a woman, you have really, really strong instincts. And I think what you said about listening to your users and listening to your community, that, that is so key as well. And that's, that's really how you're going to like co-create it and create something that's really meaningful and that's really useful to the people that you're trying to serve. Yeah. When we decided to do the beta, you know, closed beta invite only thing, Clubhouse just came out a uh, big time. So they came out a while ago, right? But they came out, came out like on what, December, November, yeah. something like that. And we were just like, whoa, this is the plan. This is the right way to build a huge thing with an invite only. Everybody wants in, everyone are fighting to get in. And, and so we planned, right? So we went and we were like, okay, they know what they're doing. We're going to do the same and succeed. And we reached our beta version the middle of March. It was testing in the end of February, but middle of March. And we started doing the invite code and really quickly, I think a week after, we we stopped we were talking to one of our advisors uh moshe who's also an ex-israeli uh, <laughs> and we just tried to like really think about why we're doing things so not what you want to achieve but why you want to do a specific step that you're taking right now and we were talking about the beta and we said like Moshe and us, we were asking ourselves, why are we doing a beta? Why does a beta exist? Like, what, is, what is it for? And the answer is that a beta is the simplest version of your vision, which gives you the opportunity to test with strangers and adjust because you're not committed yet. Your beta is not your final product, which means that you can change it much more um, and and play with it and have the opportunity to learn from it. And then we, we said, okay, so the whole, you know, clubhouse fantasy, whatever, it's not real. It's not, it's not a real thing. And it's not what we want. We don't want to be clubhouse. We want to be communicable. So why are we doing the same thing? And we said, okay, so let's take it one step at a time. Like we did, you know, with a few mistakes we've done before, we did the same process. We stopped, took a deep breath and said, why are we doing it? Let's take it one step of, uh, at a time. That's really incredible. I love that definition of, of how you're thinking about a beta. And I think a lot of people, you know, whether you're building a tech startup or, or a community, that's such a good way of looking at the initial things and experiences that you put out I think like I didn't really think of it that way but when I like when I just launched fuck up nights in Toronto like my first event was was definitely also like a beta like it was you know it was a test and we had to see what resonated and what didn't and you know really listen to the people that came out to that first event and just like continue improving it so yeah hopefully that inspires folks listening to you know not think that it, it needs to be this like crazy big thing yeah and I think that 
um, you always, when you start a new thing, if it's a community, a company, whatever, you always think that the next step is going to be less stressful than the step you're in right now. Cause you're like, you, you always like, I, I do, I always say to myself, you know, there's no way it can get more stressful than what it is right now or more scary or, you know, more exhausting until you get to the next step. Yep. And then you realize that <laughs> it always happens. It, yep. Yep. Totally. And then now what I try to do is think, look at what I'm doing right now and think, okay, how can I enjoy this? Just like everything else I did in my life. But right now, because of all the stress, I don't see the fun. So stopping and saying that out loud and being able to be like, okay, how can I also, you know, have fun with it? So we make sure that our meetings with our team, which is a really small team, our meetings are always super fun. We always like, you know, laugh our hearts out and talk about our feelings and you know yesterday uh we introduced to the team the next feature coming up uh which is really exciting and they got so excited it was so much fun i didn't even think they would react this way i love that that is it's so important to just like be in it and just like really appreciate like what's special about where you are right now and really like take the time to to celebrate your achievements and your milestones. I think, you know, a lot of people who are entrepreneurial or, you know, who are building something, you you just kind of like rush to move on to like the next goal or the next thing that you could achieve, but you really do have to try to be in the moment and enjoy where you are today. So how can people get involved? Like how can listeners uh, who are, you know, interested in helping or like um, being on this platform, how can they get involved? Right now, like I said, we are in closed beta. I am going to share the invite code here with you because, you know, I'm already here and it's nice. So if you go to communico.com, so communico, first of all, with a Y, not with an I. Uh, so it's C-O-M-M-U-N-Y. CO. There is a, a space for an invite code. The invite code is communico-family. And you can join, simply join from there. Keep in mind that we are in beta. We are changing things. Uh, we have bugs. Also, if you do find a problem or if you do uh, want to ask me questions, you can also email me directly. My email is bar at communico.com. Uh, you can totally talk to me. I would love, love, love to hear your experiences after you log in. So I want to get some of your advice for listeners. And I think it's really interesting that you work with your wife. Yeah. So I'm curious <laughs> if you have like any tips for listeners who are maybe like working with their partner or their families on building their community or building their business. How do you sort of like make it work? Do you sort of draw a line between professional and personal or like what sort of works for you? First of all, in the first few months, we drowned in this. My wife, Ronnie, who is the most clever person I've ever met. Uh, she can contain and learn so much information so fast that it's like insane, but it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. You know, the information doesn't stop. The learning doesn't stop. And at some point for me, because I'm a very creative person, I need breaks. I need time to think. I need time to be sad. I need time to be happy. I'm, I'm a very much uh, this type of person. And at some point it, it went to fighting, you know, it was like that. I'm not, 
you know, I'm not ashamed of <laughs> saying that out loud. We were fighting a lot about just like, you know, just like shut up for a second. And it's like, you're not listening to me or whatever. And then we made some rules. So that's my advice to you. No work stuff during cooking time and eating time. That's my rule. And that's my one advice. And it really, really helps because when you cook and when you eat, that's sort of the time for your soul to relax and to enjoy your food. That's a major thing. Uh, and, and sort of, you know, finish up with, with whatever thoughts you had about work or stress or whatever and just enjoy a meal with your loved ones. I think for me, that was like a major thing. And I still, sometimes, sometimes we, we still mess that up. Sometimes like we're of cooking course, and, yeah. and we're still talking about work. And then in the middle of making dinner, I'm like, wait, we're cooking right now. No more, no more work. My boyfriend and I, that's something that we've kind of implemented as well. And, and for me, like I work with a lot of people who are on, on the Pacific time zone. So it's like my day, I'm still getting messages kind of like late into the night, but I, I like try to shut it off while I'm making dinner and then during dinner as well. And it makes such a difference when, when I can do that successfully. Yeah, and I think that when you do that, you sort of unplug and you become a family again. Because during the day, I'm the CEO, she's the COO. Obviously, we have some differences and, you know, business decisions. We're not wives anymore. In, the, in those moments, we're not partners. We're co-workers and we're bosses. So when you cook together, it's just like, you know, you're a family again. You can talk about something else, talk about your family, talk about your feelings. That's really great advice. Thanks so much for sharing. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how people who are, you know, building something in the community space or building a community actually navigate their their personal lives and their personal communities. So outside of Communico and outside of your, you know, creative interests, are there any other communities that you're part of? I'm part of the Jews in tech community. <laughs> Oh, nice. I'm, I'm part of it that is, one, too. I, it's a really? Good, yeah. No way. There's so many people in there. It's 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 insane. Like, it's so many messages that I'm getting. It's crazy. But yeah, that's that's fun. I only recently got to know this because of uh, one of my mentors. And also, I am still in the film industry. So my closest friends and people that I talk to every day are in the film industry. And that's something that is really, really close to my heart uh, because it's it's my dream. I'm never going to give up on that. I am doing Communico and I love it. And it's it's also my dream. But being a part of arts communities, it's something that like I need. I have to I have to have this creative outlet. I still write sometimes. I paint a lot. So I'm also in groups that are about watercolor paintings and uh in the baking community lately i'm very active <laughs> in the sourdough baking community to be, <laughs> to be precise yeah and i think that, that the variety is what does it for me that's what makes me tick i need a variety of different places that i can be at once so i can expand my my creative knowledge and that's how i enjoy life 
Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I feel like I also need a variety of different interests and different types of people that I that I have in my life. So speaking of having people in your life, how do you choose your people? You know, like the five to six people that are closest to you, do you feel like you look for certain qualities in them or is it just something that kind of happens organically? I feel like it happens organically, but I also feel like that's not true because we all choose our people if we want to or not. We see things in people that remind us of ourselves and that's how we choose them. Uh, I do have my two best friends here in Toronto, uh, Jenny and Arison, who I also introduced to each other and now they're getting married. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they're, they're our best friends. Um, me and my wife, we always go there for dinners. Uh, they were our COVID friends and everything with them it's just like a very daily relationship sort of thing or friendship uh and i have my um you know from back then friends in israel those are the friendships that i find most interesting and most rewarding and most amazing in my life because those are people that i actually i have like five or four good friends that we talk like maybe once every few months uh, and like we see each other once a year ish because i live here now but every time i see them it's like i saw them yesterday that's the type of people that i connect with the most those that uh can love from afar mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's i think it's it's good to have both things and i'm very very grateful that i do have that and also my dad is kind of my best friend. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? Community means to me that I know that I'm safe and that I know that I'm understood. That's, that's what it means to me. I love that. That's such a great definition. Awesome, Bar. Thank you so much for joining me. This was such a great conversation. Thank you very much. I'm very happy I had a chance to be here. It was uh, a lot of fun. I had such a great time chatting with Bar, and I hope you felt inspired by the conversation. You can connect with Bar on LinkedIn at Bar Kirshon or on Instagram at Bar Bali. And you can learn more about Communico at communico.com. I'll also link Communico's upcoming event, The Creator Series, in the show notes. And you can find the spelling of Barr's name and Communico in the show notes as well. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com where house is spelled H-A-U-S or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.